today on Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Caggiano gives us some insight into his normal routine, all the many things he's involved with, and several of the, of the initiatives that are happening in the diocese today. And then we'll take a look back at some of the stories from his younger days, studying in school and in seminary. Keep your radio right here on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, or keep listening on your phone using the Veritas mobile app. The app, if you don't have it, is available to download at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at VeritasCatholic.com. And a big thank you to Foundations in Faith, whose support brings Let Me Be Frank to you. St. John Paul II told young people, the church needs your youthful ideas in order to make the gospel of life penetrate the fabric of society. So, Foundations in Faith is inviting all Diocese of Bridgeport parishes to apply for parish support grants from the St. John Paul II Fund for Religious Education and Faith Formation. The St. John Paul II Fund focuses on young people and their ideas to elevate and invigorate their faith formation experience. There's just over a week left to apply online at www.foundationsinfaith.org. Applications are open until April 1st, so get your application in at www.foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good to be with you, my friend. Good to be with you, Excellency. Before we begin, I just want to wish you, it's coming up next week, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> How nice of you. Yes, 63. Could you imagine? You, you, it's young. That's a, that's a young number. Uh, yeah, I guess. It is. In modern world, yes, it is. But and I don't you're feel rocking. Young. You're, but yeah, you are but, rocking. Yeah, yeah, I am. But I'm just kind of dragging myself along. But yes, it, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, the pace, my pace is really busy. It has, well, it's always been busy. This is like super busy. But I feel it. Really? I fell asleep at the computer in the office. Oh, I my gosh. Say this, but I did. <laughs> yep. Like maybe for a minute. And then I came to, either I passed out or I fell asleep <laughs> one or the other. And I thought to myself, where am I? <laughs> you know, it, it, I'm sure it helps you stay and and feel young being around young people which you just uh recently uh you were at the launch of the ycp yes young Catholic professionals yep at holy spirit father luke suarez is the chaplain um faye is the president mm -hmm. there are six other young adults who are in leadership there are six older adults who form part of the board of directors there were at least, I'm guessing, 110, 20 people at the gathering on a Saturday night at 7 o'clock. And of that 100 plus, 85% were young adults. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's just, and they're just unabashedly Catholic. They're fervent in the faith. They're all professionals. Um, they form community. They share uh, a social life, they pray, they learn about their faith, they have executive uh, speaker series, they have 
kind of like their version of theology on tap in bars and restaurants where they come together for no other purpose, but they have a great time and witness that young adults who could be faithful to Christ can also have a fun life. That's great. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 So this is a commercial. So let's finish the commercial by saying any young adult, 20s, 30s, listening to this podcast who says, you know what? Where is there a community I could belong to that is life-affirming, upbeat, joyful, faithful to the church, with just some great people to share an evening, have a beer, pray, sit before the Lord? It's young Catholic professionals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the keys there also is, as you mentioned, Excellency, is the the mentorship and the speaker series and exactly that's exactly. that's great exactly exactly and and i would say stanford norwalk darien new canaan uh greenwich um just to name a few of the areas in our diocese uh, there are more and more young adults moving in hmm. right and i think as we've talked before they have discovered that living on Long Island or living in New Jersey and living in Fairfield County is really six of one and half dozen of the other when it comes to travel, transport. And we really, I mean, Fairfield County is beautiful. It's not to say Long Island isn't and New Jersey isn't, but Fairfield County is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yes. So where more and more young people are coming in and I'm hoping that they will take, and again, you need to be professional, meaning you have to be in a, a profession. You have to be employed and you have to be in, you know, a, a, a profession. Not exactly how you would describe this in English, but you know, like a law profession, financial profession, something like that, right? Yeah. Yep. Right to this yeah. commonality. Okay. I, I can't yep. believe you, you made it because your schedule seems to be impossibly full. <laughs> it is. It is. And it is. And and I think sooner or later I just have to give some thought as to how to manage all this. Because it's all great work. Yeah. It's all stuff that's essential and for in the diocesan world, which is my sole and primary real responsibility. It um, there's a lot of great initiatives that are starting. You know, the Sacred Heart Guild yes. just has such potential. Yes. Right? To engage beauty and, and engage young adults and all people actually, not just young adults, could be anyone in, in the work of faith and the engagement of the heart. So I just have to figure it out. But what am I involved with is just so many things. And they're all great. Like, for example, CRS. Yes. Chair of the board of CRS is one of the greatest honors I've received in my life. Because I can't imagine any more noble work than what CRS does. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's, it's certainly just with the Ukraine. We've spoken about it before. But, 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 but <clears throat> just to give a quick update. I mean, CRS continues to bring resources to Moldova, to Romania, to Poland, working with the local Caritas chapters to just help these people who are now in the millions, millions. I mean, I heard this morning the UN High, what is it, the High Commissioner on Refugees? Mm -hmm. There are 10 million Ukrainians who are displaced from their homes, not necessarily out of the country, but but that's bigger than New York City. Yeah. Wow. Right? So, so that takes up some time, which is well spent. And then um, the work on the Institute on the Catechism, which we spoke about, is now mm-hmm. slowly beginning to ramp up. 
And that will take me to like day trips to ask donors for, for assistance around the country. Um, thank God there's Wi-Fi on, on flights now. <laughs> yeah. I get work done when <laughs> flying around. And then Remi- there... Remind our yes. listeners, though, about that mm-hmm. institute. So tell us, tell us more about it. Right. Well, basically, the institute is the fruit of four or five years of deep reflection that has engaged the bishops of the Subcommittee on the Catechism and publishers of religious materials around the country that what we have been doing for the last two generations has not borne fruit, in part because we have not yet recognized although now I believe we have, that Catholic culture has changed. And the, the larger role that community, family, and society used to play in passing on the faith is either gone or challenged. And therefore, we speak of evangelization as the outreach to the world and catechesis as a moment within that outreach that vision has to animate everything we now do. So the Institute is being formed as a service to bishops and publishers to give literally to incarnate what that vision can look like. And a lot of it is going to be training and support, the front lines. Because in the end, it's not just good materials, but it's good catechists and faithful parents who could use the materials to help both educate and witness to the faith. Yeah. Right? So it's really a shift to the leadership of catechesis and supporting them in their work. It's no longer, here's the book, teach catechism. No. Right. No. And it's also the engagement, again, it's where part of the impetus of the Sacred Heart Guild came from. It's part of the impetus is to recognize do you, you appropriate the faith in your mind, in your heart, and by the decisions you make, your witness. Mm-hmm. So we can't just be looking at cognitive. You could, remember, the devil knows the, the catechism. He could recite the catechism. Doesn't mean he believes it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, uh, so then, I guess bringing it more locally, here we've got the Sacred Heart Guild, um, right. and we have the Ambassador Program. So these are two ways that it's, it sounds like. Right, right. But we also have this, this um little known in the public sphere initiative I'm working with about 12, maybe 14 pastors about reimagining middle school, high school formation. And that's beginning to yield some fruit in so much as there are some great programs that already exist that um, we need to find the funding to allow parishes to adopt. And then we are going to add to it some of our more local issues and concerns so that we can involve young people, middle school, that is sixth, but really seventh, eighth, and ninth graders, and then high school, 10th, 11th, and 12th, in a holistic evangelical experience of formation. So what does that mean? That means we gather with them to teach them the faith. We gather to engage their hearts through prayer, adoration, pilgrimage, and so many other ways. Also, we want to engage their wills through the acts of service and challenging them to a life of virtue. So we want to take them beyond simply the classroom. And once that program is up and running and seems to be working, and I believe God will work well, then the age of confirmation will drop. 
because I do not particularly like the idea that we hold confirmation as the carrot over young people's heads so that they can attend, quote unquote, formation. You right. should be attending formation because you want to fall more in love with the Lord Jesus. And you want to do formation your whole life, not not just to, to confirmation whenever that happens to be. So we have to rearrange the wagon. That's really what it comes down to. And so what's the, um, do you have a projected time frame as to when this might be ready to go? Well, I think parishes will pilot in the fall. Some are already piloting. And then from that learned experience, I think a year from September, we could roll it out if I could find the funding to parishes, many of which would like to do the program but can't afford it, like a program like Life Team, and be able to just roll it out to the to the diocese. And then let us see what traction we get as we really kind of contemplate how it is that we can involve young people, young adults, and their catechetical leaders who are a bit older more in the life of the of the church, of their communities. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, it is so important, uh, this program that you're working on. Uh, I guess then my, my next question would be, because you've talked about this, Excellency, you need to get the parents involved too and the parents right. committed as well. And so how, how do we do that? Because right. I know there are a lot of families out there where it's, uh, CCD is just a drop-off program and then it's not mm-hmm. followed up on at home. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, the first thing I'm going to say in that regard is that um, what we want to offer their young people, we want to offer to them too. That's the key. Yes. I want to be able to inspire and um, cajole and even um, in some way, shape, or form, kind of entice parents to ask the question, well, what's my relationship with the Lord? Right? Again, will all parents respond? No. But those who do respond, will they? Will that be transformative? Absolutely. Would their families be transformed? Absolutely. And you know what? If you're going to cross the ocean, you got to leave one side of the of the coast, and you're going to go out into the great unknown until you get to the other side, trusting that the the boat's not going to capsize, which it won't. Right. So again, work with the willing among the parents. Yeah. And pastors are doing that already. See, pastors are doing that because they're inviting them to, to catechetical classes and, and coffee and conversation. I think what's missing is the beauty. What's missing is the community. So, you know, you've been to, you, you've raised your children, you know. When you go pick up the kids, right, from school. yes. Uh, parents form a community, don't they? Yeah, right. right. Yes. Right. And and you can see the effect in a school life. So same thing here. We, we want to help foster the opportunities for, for parents to get to know each other, to socialize with each other, share faith together. Then you start building the church. So that's one of the initiatives. And there's a ton of others going on. It's really quite amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So... Yeah. Then it, I don't I don't mean to belabor anything, but I do want to uh, ask you some more questions about uh, the ambassador program and then also Shoot. the Sacred yes, Heart of Guild. Course. So, mm-hmm. wh- so what's the update on the ambassador program? What's happening there? Okay, so I think the ambassador program is at a point where um, reality has hit the initiative, meaning that 
there are some who are hesitating to go forward simply because they are now facing firsthand the possibility of people dismissing or rejecting them. Right? And quite frankly, I could appreciate that. At all along, the ambassador program is, is, a, is a personal journey that reassures one and builds confidence to be able to confront that potential personal rejection, because it is a personal rejection. Yes. So a lot of the efforts, I remember the, about 40 of the ambassadors, um, I guess it was right at the beginning of Lent. It was the day after Ash Wednesday. We had a prayer service and we chatted. And I said to them, you begin by strengthening the ones already in church. See, like everything else, we take for granted the members of our families sometimes. So begin by strengthening them. Call them periodically, every three months, four months. How are you doing? What is it you need? What can we pray for? Is there something our parish can serve you with? Because that begins to change the culture of a parish, which is an essential prerequisite to invite people into a parish. See, if you go cold out there to evangelize, you can make some headway. But if the word on the street is St. Esmeralda seems to be like, wow, I hear some great things there. Then when you make the ask, you see the difference? Yes. So while we're building up the confidence and the skills, let's focus in on the ones, our own, who are home. And then maybe ask them from the pulpit, why don't you go ring the doorbell of your neighbor who used to go to Mass at St. Matthew and ask, well, what's going on? Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, uh, the ambassador program is really, in a sense, a facilitation of both the person and others towards the work of invitational ministry. Right? Yeah. So it continues to evolve. But, yeah. but, but I, I'm still grateful for it, and I am very confident in it. I think we're going to make tremendous progress. Not in every parish, but we will. Right? And I'm kind of like the cheerleader. Get it together <laughs> and time go out there. <laughs> right. Um, how about, uh, uh, if you, so uh, tell us some more about the Sacred Heart Guild, which I hope we can have Father Michael Clark on with us, uh, soon, but in the meantime, just give us a flavor of what that is. Yes. Yes. So the Sacred Heart Guild is basically the, uh, association of the faithful that is being charged by me to offer initiatives programs, but more especially experiences that will allow its participants to experience faith in a, in a much more affective and personal way. So when you parse up everything I just said, it really is the work of the heart. It's the work of the heart. And it will be inaugurated on the, uh, well, actually, by the time our, yes, we, it will be inaugurated this Friday. Right. Right. Yes. Right? It's this yes. Friday. Yes. Which is the, the solemnity of the Annunciation. Yep. Yes. And um, so then I think the first year is the settling year. Like, we need to make some progress in music and pilgrimage and gatherings of Catholic literature to start the initiatives, right? As we settle the structure, 
its home is Sacred Heart, what will become Sacred Heart Oratory, right, in Georgetown. And then after the first year, I think it will begin to really blossom, right, when we bring some of these initiatives out. I said to Father Clark, I'd like him to go into the high schools, expose our high school students to sacred music, to chant, to, to all that that's represented by, ch by the church's musical tradition, up to and including contemporary music. So it's not just a retro experience. It's all right. of it. Yes. And I think it, it will touch lots of students' hearts. Mm -hmm. So, so that's underway. That will be underway. Mm -hmm. And so this initiative is really focusing on, on providing an encounter through beauty. Yes. And so yes. it's not just music, it's art, it's pilgrimage, it's architecture. It's literature, it's, it's the spiritual traditions, it's Eucharistic adoration. It's, a, it's all of those oh, so experiences. Oh, that's right. awesome. And also the liturgies of the church. If you ask the average Catholic, you know, they know the sacraments, I hope, and they know the experience of Mass. But how many of them have gone to a novena? Or how many of them have gone to morning prayer? Or Vespers, or Solemn mm. Vespers, Sung Vespers. Yes. I mean, but that's all part of the liturgical tradition. That's all an expression of the, the longing of the heart for Christ. Right? Awesome. So that's all what's going to evolve and unfold in the, in the diocese. Yep. The one thing, too, that everyone should be aware of who's listening to this podcast, the Holy Father has asked that Russia and the Ukraine be consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, right through the intercession really of Our Lady of Fatima. So he's asked every bishop in the world to join him in the consecration on the 25th of March. I will be doing it during the, the solemn celebration of Vespers on the evening of March 25th, right, which begins at 6 p.m. I've asked all the pastors of the diocese when the materials are ready, as the time of our taping, they're still not they're still not been re released when they're released, to do it either at their parish mass or or perhaps at a holy hour or a special celebration, so that every parish is doing it, our diocese is doing it. Please God, all the dioceses of the United States are doing it, and please God, the majority of dioceses around the world are doing it. You know, we have to remember, in the South Sudan, right, they're dodging bullets in Ethiopia. Right, they're dodging bullets. So, our our ladies asked everyone to do it, and please God, everyone will to the best of their ability. And the ones who can't can catch up to do it. But the idea is that the whole world raised this consecration. Yeah, and and then so uh, for folks who are listening who don't really know what that means, or you know, what's the what's the point is not really how I'm trying to phrase it, but you know. Why would we want to do that? Why, besides the fact that we're, you know, listening because to the Holy Father? Because our lady told us to. Mm -hmm. Our lady told us to. Correct? At Fatima. Yes. She asked us. And it has been done. It's been done more than once. But in a time such as this, where there's such catastrophic suffering and pain and injustice and the specter of war, right? I mean, literally, I mean... We're seeing children being blown up. It, it, it cries out for divine assistance. You know, it's, it's like, you know when we were kids and you made a mess 
you created some catastrophe and you look back and it's kind of funny, but when you got to the point where you realized I can't get out of this, right? So you called out for usually, at least in my case, it was my mother who would have been more benevolent than my father who would have just let me have it. But my <laughs> mother came and, she, and we found out a way to figure out how to, you know, clean up the mess. Right. Well, that's where we're at in, in Ukraine. Now it's so entangled. There's so many forces at work. We need divine help. We need divine help to find yes. the way out. Yes. That's so the point. Essentially, we're, in, we're uh, entrusting the country and the people to the Blessed Mother. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And she no. can do with a glance what all the human armies on earth could not do together. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we, we have just uh, you know, a couple minutes left, and I, I do want to ask you, um, is there anything else? I know you're involved in, in other USCCB committees. You're the international chaplain of the goddess. Is there anything else on, on the top of your head right now that you want to you know, tell uh, us about? Other things I'm, I'm involved with? Um, well, I mean, yeah, I, I'm involved with some other ecclesial movements, either as kind of like a consultant or on their boards. I, I also do a lot of talks, too, and I've scaled those back. But like, for example... Um, I'm going to give a priest retreat in Ireland in May. Wow. I'm, give, I'm giving the board retreat for Legatus in April. Uh, I'm going to go to Ghana for CRS in Africa in July. So, I mean, I feel so privileged to be able to do some of these things. But I am pressed for time yeah. <laughs> to do them. But God provides. Yeah. God provides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh and we're we're blessed to have you here. I mean, it seems like the smarter and the and the holier and the more effective you are, the more people are going to tug at you, right, Excellency? You won't say it because I know you're too humble. But I was going to say I'm the, the exception case. to the rule. But yeah, yeah right. I <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's Excellency. Let's take a break. Uh, and we come back. Um, I'll ask you some uh, some stories from from Brooklyn and, and earlier days. Um, mm-hmm. This this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. We will be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. 
The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Um, Excellency, so I was speaking at um, a couple parishes uh, this past weekend about Veritas, and it never fails every time someone comes up and either says, I'm from Brooklyn, or even without the I'm from Brooklyn, people come up and say, I love when Bishop Caggiano tells stories from when he was younger. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of thinking... I mean, we see how busy you are and, and how many things you're involved with. And it just makes me um, curious about what kind of student you were in grade school at Regis, at Yale, in the seminary. Just, I, I have a picture of what it is, and I just wonder, mm-hmm. I'd like to hear from you. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, that's a great question, actually, because it brings me back memory lane. At Simon and Jude, St. Simon and Jude, I loved school. I loved it. I loved the structure it created. I loved the fact that there was a rhythm to life. I loved, uh, I, I was one of the few kids, probably the only kid who loved Labor Day because we were going back to school. Um, and the reason is uh, the sisters were great. I had great classmates. Remember, I had a hundred, a hundred students in my grade. Wow. Three classes of 33, 34 each, right? It's just astonishing the amount of stuff. We're just talking; it's huge to do. Yeah. So um, when I look at that, I um, and I contemplate the little Frank that was there. I think overachiever certainly describes it. Uh, really kind of confident, boarding on cocky, kind of because I found the studies to be very easy. Um, but also in some way, shape or form, it was, it was home. Like it felt like putting a glove on. I, I felt no desire to have to run home after school. It was more kind of like a leisurely prancing down the road, down here, down the block to to (laughs) home. It was really, home was on the same block as the school. Um, so... I loved, I loved, that's where my love of astronomy came, is from grammar school, because of the fascination. And that helped form my religious imagination of mm. the grandeur and the power and the might of God. Again, that was not an intellectual, that was more a visual, a more of perception, right? More of an intuition than a, a conclusion or a deduction. Yeah. Hmm? Was your grade school, was that co-ed or? Yes. Okay. It's co-ed grade school and you went to an all-boys high school. Right. That's why the uh, transition to Regis was so difficult for me. A, because I had no friends with me from Simon and Jude. Secondly, because it was actually hard. So suddenly, you know, gliding through life suddenly had to apply yourself. Hmm. Right. And in the early days of Regis, I, as I've, I've told you before, I, I just, I did not like Regis at all for all those reasons. And I would give myself Friday evening off. But Saturday morning, from, not, I would say 9.30 to Sunday afternoon, was homework. 
Wow. Oh, it's homework. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, there was a lot of reading. There was just Greek alone, the vocabulary every week, and all of just reviewing the pluperfect, the, 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 the clinch, all of this stuff. I thought, oh my gosh. Wow. And, and, and it's funny, I, as I've grown older, I appropriate information easier than when I was younger. And I'm not sure why that is, hmm. right? But when I was younger, I needed to, it, the struggle is not the right word, but I had to engage and work the material, the information. You know, I, there are some young people who are blessed. They could read something and they're done. Right. But I would read it, then I'd reread it and outline it, right? Like underline and write and make outlines. I had more outlines than you knew what to do with. Then Carter has pills, right? It was just, I was just, just I could wallpaper a, a, a thousand homes with these outlines, right? And cue cards in Greek, oh gosh, I, I, just an astonishing amount of stuff. This, all right, so this this brings up two questions for me. One is uh, because you had so much work in high school, then. Were you, did you not have the opportunity or were you maybe not even built this way where you were looking for distractions in sports and girls and other things like that? Yeah, I think, well, no, in a sense. So that's the other part of my personality that that there is an overachieving aspect. There's also perfectionism Mm. in me that has waned as I've grown older. That's part of the maturity. And some people mature faster than others. It also comes with with a, a, a maturing of Christian faith. There's a bit of a Pelagianism, right? There's almost an idolatry, mm-hmm. imperfectionism that runs rampant because you are not the author of your own excellence, nor are you the author of your own achievements. God is. But as a young man, I think because when I went to Regis, I started with such a deficit, with such academic difficulty, that when I finally said, okay, we're gonna put this locomotive on the right track, then we were like going 100 miles an hour. Hmm. So the real question to ask as I look back, did it actually necessitate all that time working? And if I were to be brutally honest, the answer is probably not. But if you're trying to not just achieve well, but if you're trying to be a perfectionist, the answer is yes, you do need all that time. Yeah. <laughs> right? And some of my Jesuit teachers at Regis pointed that out to me, again, to be totally fair, right? Um, that they sensed that I was really working a lot. And they said, you could, like, you could take a step back. You're doing fine. You could take a step back. But to say it, and as a young man, to hear it, but then to apply it to your own life, you know, we all, it's, it's all part of the journey. Yeah. Right? So, and then, and yes. then the other thing, too, if I may, since we're, we're having open confession here, the other thing, too, <laughs> is, is something, thank God, also that has diminished, is that I would worry and I shouldn't say it's diminished, it's changed. But I would worry, like when a test came, it, I would worry about it. I get anxious about it sometimes too. I don't think I'm the only one on earth that felt that way, right? right. But, it, but you, because you, it's the unknown that hits you. And then, you know, you have a hundred short answers in 
15 minutes is like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that also factored into it. That, that goes along with the perfectionism. Exactly. If there are psychologists on the, uh, listening, I just hope they don't judge me too severely. I do, I do try to be normal. <laughs> well, and then yeah. this, this feeling that you had to do it all on your own, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it makes sense. Yeah. And also the other thing, I think a lot of young people struggle with this, and that is they believe that they have to do, they have to achieve a certain amount to please their parents, right? Yeah. You know, sometimes we fall into that trap. My mother and father did not make any demands on me. My mother, you know, in that crisis when I was going to leave Regis, my mother said, just give it your best shot. But my father never said, you have to get 99 or 95. Never. My mother never did that. They wanted me to do my best. But you always question to yourself, what is your best? Right. And you want to make your parents proud and you want... So, I mean, I graduated number three in my class at Regis. Wow. Okay. And it was the number one class academically in the whole country. And you would say to yourself, oh, aren't you like prideful? But, but I look back and said to myself, you know, maybe I should have graduated 30th in my class and had more free time. <laughs> but that's water under the bridge. Yeah. Water I, under the bridge. But it, but it got you to Yale. It did get me to Yale, which was a colossal uh, eye-opening experience for me. It was for many reasons, not least of which um, I recognized how important my family was to me and my natural environment. You know, some young people need to go away and go away to school so they can grow up. I, and in all perfect honesty, I didn't need to do that to go away to grow up, okay? Um, There was a basic responsibility I already had, right? However, um, that it opened my eyes and changed my vista, yes, without a doubt. As Regis did it in a certain way, so did Yale, so did Yale. It was my first experience of a multi-value culture. Hmm. People of different religions, of no religion, of secularity, intermingling, dialoguing, or arguing, depending mm-hmm. on what day it was of the week. That was new for me, because I was raised in totally Catholic educational environments. And again, that trained me to be able to talk about the faith when it was appropriate, which wasn't fairly often, because most freshmen are not interested in talking about their faith. It did strengthen my commitment to be faithful to to observance of mass and on Sundays and all the rest. And there was a fierceness about me. I must confess when I was, I couldn't give a hoot what you thought. <laughs> right? And, I, and many times I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> because if I'm convicted that something is right, I will try my best to, to help explain it. I will try my best to accompany people who don't agree with it, but do not ask me to change what I what I'm convicted over. Yeah. And that That's was a good. bit of that in Yale too. There was a bit of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good though. That's mm-hmm. you, as a parent, I want my kids to to right. you know have that as well. 
As long as they're convicted of the truth. Right. Yes. Right. Uh, and then, uh, uh, so when you were in seminary then, Excellency, was there still this, um, this drive for perfectionism? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. And, and mm-hmm. I guess on a tangent, uh, as you answer that, also, I'm curious uh, if there's also uh, sort of competition in seminary in that way. Um, well, that's an interesting question. I, I didn't sense that. Okay. But the perfectionism changed in the seminary. It wasn't just academic perfectionism. Although the funny thing is, I, I may have mentioned this in an early podcast, I don't recall, but uh, a, a, a very dear friend of mine who is now a university president and I were classmates in the seminary and we would, you know, kind of try to master the material. And then two nights or the night before exams, we would just have an open forum. And um, it was almost like teaching the class. Hmm. And, and then we'd engage in conversation and stuff. And I'll never forget it. At Cathedral College, Father Lauder, who was a philosoph- our philosophy teacher, one of our philosophy teachers, actually walked into one of those. We were in a classroom. Actually walked in and sat down. I'll never forget it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm sure he has forgotten it. <laughs> but I will never forget it. Right. And, and then I was... And then... No. Huh. No. No. He just listened. Then he left. Yeah. Wow. And, and and we were doing our thing, and I said, I'm just keep doing my thing. <laughs> so um, so the perfectionism was not, it was somewhat academic, but it was in what was expected. Right? So all the, the requirements of the life in the house and the, the, yeah. the spiritual exercises, and right? It wasn't just academics. Right? I remember this story that I heard of um, a seminary and two of the seminarians were supposed to be sweeping up one of the stairwells and they guys started talking and they just kind of started leaning on their brooms. They stopped sweeping and they're just talking. And one of the priests, it wasn't the rector, but one of the priests opened the door and the younger seminarian grabs his broom and starts sweeping again. The older seminarian took the broom back and said, nope. We do the same thing behind closed doors as we do in front of, the, in front of the priests, and I thought that was so. Yeah, insightful. Yeah. Yes, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, I, uh, but you know, just just if I may, I may, I, I think, let's go back to Yale for for a second. Yes, the fact that I wanted to study political science and was fascinated with the whole idea of governance and how you can um, affect change for the good of a community or society, or in this case, as I've said many times, the city of New York where I lived. There is an element of that in being a bishop, a diocesan bishop, which I could not ever have imagined when I was Mm. at Yale. Because you govern a community and you want to bring it to, to a greater expression of the good, right? In fidelity to faith. And some of the skills are the same. Right? You lead by inspiration as much as you lead by dictate. Hmm. For authority now is earned. 
not seeded. And you earn it by the integrity and witness of your life. And, and of course, the ultimate foundation of authority in the church is the Lord Jesus. So if a bishop is faithful to the Lord, then he has more of an ability to govern with conviction and authority because it's not his, it's Christ's. So, you know, the basic skills of, of, of public speaking and communication and writing and, you know, the, the, uh, to develop that part of your personality that tries to convey the larger picture and tries to inspire, which I think every leader needs to do. A lot of that began at Yale. And wow. then the seminary kind of brought it further. To yeah. the extent that I can do it, it that's where the roots were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do you feel like it was more than just the college experience that did that for you? Or was it something about Yale in particular, Excellency? No, well, that I don't know, because I have nothing to compare it to any other college experience. I, I would say that... Um, well, except for the seminary college, but that's that's a unique creature. The one thing I would say, though, is um, there was something about Yale I did not like. And I don't think it's just Yale. Mm-hmm. I think it's any university that is essentially secular. That it's, e- it's easily geared to, you know, personal success, careerism networking to get to that career which then leads to a lot of what i'm going to call shenanigans Hmm. where you don't exactly know if the person's saying what they're saying because they mean it or because they're trying to impress you or because they're networking with you and and i and i'm very intuitive and i sense that from the get we're freshmen and i sense that i'm thinking myself what are we wasting i mean you have nothing else better to do but to do this stuff (laughs) yeah it's yeah, Ivy League, in New England, studying political right. science. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, right. Yeah. So uh, I just and that and that was part of the reason where you do the ultimate discernment. You do the discernment of ultimate value. What is the ultimate value of values in your life that you believe you can dedicate your life to? Uh, um. And, and Yale was your first time living away from home. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you must have missed your family a lot. Were you mm-hmm. always... I know we've heard a lot about your mom and dad. You mm-hmm. may... I don't know if you, you want to share anything about your sister, how close you were. Oh, we fought um, all the time. <laughs> that means up, you were close. We, we fought all the time. And I love my sister dearly, even growing up. But we fought because our personalities were so different. Now, in old age, she's older than I am, for the record. Um, all of that is mellowed. But, you know, it was, yeah. Like, for example, my sister was much more of, um, I don't know how to describe it. Because she may be listening to this podcast. So I have to, <laughs> much more of the free spirit. Okay. Okay, so she would challenge my father. See, and I wouldn't. I would when I had to, but wasn't often. But I wouldn't. And therefore, when she would rile him up, 
then I would be left there with a riled up father saying to myself, why didn't you just keep your mouth closed? We would all be happier. (laughs) We'd all be happier. (laughs) Right? So, yeah, so those sort of dynamics. Our personalities were different. Um, But my sister, I mean, my sister's a lovely person. She and I love my sister. My sister, I know, loves me very dearly. There's not a thing my sister would not do if I asked her to do it. Yeah. Seriously, without a doubt. Yeah. And my mother's death kind of changed that too, because we were kind of in separate orbits. But my mother's death, our orbits began to grow closer, simply because you have to intentionally be the glue, because my mother was the glue. Right. That happens, I think, to every family when their parents are gone. Yeah. Yeah, and you mm-hmm. and you did talk about that in a uh, mm-hmm. previous mm-hmm. Uh, show. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So I guess then about your about your mother and your father, and you alluded to this um, earlier as well about how you know kids always want to make their parents proud, mm-hmm. and you lived a life of, I mean, frankly, achievement and success, Excellency. <laughs> so um, I wonder. Is there a particular moment that stands out above the others in your life where you really felt like, yeah, you know, I, I, mom and dad are, are really proud of me right now? Yeah, I, I think, as I've said many times, it didn't come in, in academics. It came at ordination. Hmm. Where I could say both of my parents. We've to- I've told you that story. Not in acad- See, my father... My father viewed academics as the work that I was supposed to do. So you don't get great... Nobody gave him accolades to get up at 5.30 in the morning and go unload ships. It's your duty. So school is your duty. And your duty is to do it well. So you do it well in school. Congratulations for doing what you were supposed to do. That's how my father thought. (laughs) Right? So when I defended my doctorate, my father didn't come to Italy. No. My mother did. And my mother would never fly in the plane by herself. So I left Rome, flew overnight to New York, picked up my mother, and on the same night flew back to Rome. Oh, my goodness. Right. Because my father, and not because my father was cruel, but in my father's way of thinking, but this this you're supposed to do, that you were there all these years. Of course you're supposed to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very different from the American way of looking at things. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's almost though like a like um an unspoken vote of confidence too though, isn't it, Excellency? Like, you know, you mm-hmm. got it. I know. I don't need to be there because right. you don't need my support. You got it. Right. Right. So for example, when it's it's very ironic. I was part of the Homeric Academy at Regis, and I'm not even sure it exists anymore. But the Homeric Academy, its task was in I forget if it was junior or senior year, I think it was Maybe I don't even remember now, but at the end of one of them, um, we had the chair of classics um, from, I believe it was Princeton, come to Regis, and we had 7,000 lines of Greek to prepare. Whoa. <laughs> and any of those lines was open season. And I forget there was just a few of us, three, four, five. And again, was my father proud? Yes, but in my mind, in my in my in my father's mind, well, you know, that's that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Right. If God 
gave you this ability, then do it. Then, you know. Yeah, and I remember, so my mother came, my father did not come. <laughs> In a way, it was just as well, because they asked the, 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 uh, the, I was the congregation, the audience for questions. Oh, God, I'd be afraid what my father would have asked if he stayed home. <laughs> oh, gosh. And then we had our little party at home. And so it's not that I'm, I, I want to paint a picture of my father who's yeah. totally disengaged. Of I, he celebrated. But to go to the actual events, it was like, what would I, like, why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, let's take one more break, Excellency, and come back with a listener question. Okay. This is... This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll be right back. This is Father Joseph. And Lauren Doyle. From Restless, that show for young adults on Veritas Catholic Network. And we've got some exciting news to share. Veritas Catholic Network is having its first big event in April called On Air with Veritas. At this event, Bishop Frank Caggiano will host a live audience for his show, Let Me Be Frank, where we can listen and watch the bishop in a fun and faith-filled format. It'll have live music and be hosted by Liv Harrison of... It's not that late with Liv. Very exciting. It is exciting. Did you know that Bishop Frank's show, Let Me Be Frank, is in the top 25% of all podcasts downloaded in the U.S.? Indeed it is. It gets rave reviews and has listeners from all over the country tuning in to hear what he has to say. And after the Bishop's show, there's going to be cocktails, drinks, and appetizers for everyone and a chance to meet the Bishop, to meet all of Veritas's radio show hosts, and to mingle with friends. I really can't wait to be part of this event. It is going to be great. On Air with Veritas takes place on Thursday, April 7th from 5 to 9 p.m. at the Barone Campus Center at Fairfield University. Again, that's April 7th from 5 to 9 o'clock at the Barone Campus Center at Fairfield University. Tickets are limited, of course, so make sure to go online to www.veritascatholic.givesmart.com to get your tickets today. You're not going to want to miss this. All proceeds will go to Veritas Catholic Network, an independent 501c3 nonprofit organization to continue its mission of bringing faithful and entertaining programs to all of us in Fairfield County. More information is available on the website, so make sure to check it out and get your tickets at www.veritascatholic.givesmart.com. Hope to see you there. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Um, so before I get to the question, excellent, just thanks for the uh, thanks for the, the the fun stories and, and the fun time today. It was yeah, yeah. I'm glad we did. I li- I like I, I love telling stories anyway. But I think it's you know given everything we've been facing, and it's just so serious and it's yes. so it's good every once in a while to kind of see the lighthearted part of life. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So here's this week's question that came in, Excellency. It says. Mm-hmm. Bishop Frank, sorry for the dumb question. By the way, no there are dumb no dumb questions. Exactly. No dumb yeah. questions. Um, but uh, and so she goes on. I pray the rosary every day with special intentions. Good. Is it more powerful if I only pray it for one intention versus a bunch of intentions? If I have five intentions, should I pray the rosary five times to make it stronger? Well, you know, it's it's actually a commonly asked question. And and the answer to the question is no. You do not have to do that. Remember, we pray not to tell God what He doesn't know. We pray to dispose our hearts to receive what He's going to do as the answer. And therefore, I don't think it's materially different that you pray a rosary for a single intention or many intentions. 
provided that you reflect long enough to be ready to hear the answer God gives you to each and every one of them. That's how I would see it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes. And there are no dumb questions, as you said. Never. That was a great Never. question. Mm-hmm. And if you are listening and you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. You can find Bishop Frank Caggiano on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Veritas Catholic Network is there as well. And we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thank you again. And before we go, would you please give us your blessing? I would be happy to. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, as we continue this journey in Lent, may your Holy Spirit purify our minds and strengthen our hearts and help us to do the good so that through the conversion of our lives we may become ever more faithful, worthy, and effective ministers of the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, see you next week, my friend. Thanks, Excellency.